Oh, Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about trust today. Doug is on vacation. He, uh, he, yeah, thank you. That means you get me. <laughs> I love it. Um, he and Christy are um, visiting their grandkids. And I think they're probably going to talk to Lisa and Cole while we're there too. But um, So they're enjoying some time off in, in uh, Texas. So pray that they come back refreshed, ready to go, and uh, you know, excited about life. In the meantime, you get me. Praise the Lord. I didn't hear a woohoo that time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> We're going to be in, in uh, uh, Genesis 43, okay? So you can be turning there. It should be pretty easy. Go to the front of your Bible, work your way around, over. And while we're getting there, I want to um, do a little bit of review. I talk just a little bit about what sets this up. Um, we're going to talk about forgiveness and trust, but I want to position this with a little bit of review. It's important for us to continue to review, 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 because you know Doug and I know that by the time you get to the second set of doors there, you forgot what we said. So if we can say it over and over again, we want that retention to happen. So let's look at Joseph. We're going to look at his brothers, then we're going to get into this issue of forgiveness and trust. With Joseph, it's interesting, in, in chapter 41, after Joseph um, interpreted the dream for Pharaoh, Pharaoh says this, he says, since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne am I greater than you. And we read that and you go, man, how fortunate it is that Joseph was given that interpretation by God. And then he just magically became capable of ruling over all of Egypt. Isn't that awesome to have a God like that that just has like pixie dust that he just sprinkles on us and all of a sudden we just magically become competent? I don't think that's how it happened. I've been waiting for that pixie dust and it hasn't hit yet, so... <laughs> Let's look at Joseph's life. Joseph started as we pick him up as a child. 17 years old, his father sends him to check out his brothers. We know that that happened before because his brothers were already upset with him because he brought back a favorable, uh, unfavorable report of what his brothers were doing. So Joseph had to have some skill sets, even as a 17-year-old, to know how the family business was supposed to be run because he comes back to his dad and he goes, these guys are messing it up. And they weren't too excited about him. And then he gets this dream and he shares it with his brothers. And then they got even more upset with him. And they ended up, you know, first they wanted to kill him. And then they just decided it would be better if they just sold him into slavery. And so we see Joseph, who didn't do anything wrong, being sold into slavery. Now, I don't know how you would act if you were sold into slavery, but I would be relatively bummed. I, I might find it okay for me to wallow in my misery a little bit. In fact, I might, it might be okay for me to get to Potiphar's house after he buys me and go, you know what, I'm going to do the least amount of work possible so this guy doesn't beat me, but I'm not doing anything else because this is a mess. I don't deserve to be here. I don't like to be here. I shouldn't be here. I didn't do any wrong. Why am I here? Joseph didn't do that, did he? Because scripture tells us that Joseph was, ended up being the head of all of Potiphar's household. 
Now we read that and we go, well, yeah, he learned how to cook and wash the floor and do the dishes. No, he ran a household. All the slaves, all the people in the house, everything that happened in the house, all the stuff. This was a massive household that Potiphar was running. The man was a man of influence. And God had developed in Joseph the ability to run all of Potiphar's house. I don't think he came in with that capacity. He left with that capacity. Because he is willing to let God develop him where he was to become who God needed him to be. And so what ended up happening? He gets thrown in prison for something he didn't do. Now, I don't know about you, but I would have been there going, okay, that was okay. This is not right. Forget you, God. Forget everything. This is not right. I'm not doing anything anymore, man. And I'm just going to sit in the corner and I'm just going to wait till I die. But Joseph didn't do that, did he? Joseph continued to become a man sensitive to God, listening to God, developing as a person to where he became the head of of all the prisoners in the prison. Now, let me ask you this. When Joseph was 17, what did he know, know about Egyptian policy, Egyptian values, Egyptian customs, how Egyptians think, how Egyptians problem solve, how Egyptians, how do you, how do you know, did he know any of that stuff? Well, how is he going to be somebody who rules over Egypt if he has no clue how it works? God had to take him in a process to become the person that God wanted him to be in order to do what God had called him to do. Are you guys with me? This wasn't just something that happened magically and all of a sudden Pharaoh had this dream and magically Joseph showed up. God was preparing and developing Joseph throughout the time. And by the way, Joseph had to cooperate. I can give you example after example after example of people in in Scripture who didn't cooperate. Didn't turn out like Joseph. But Joseph allowed God to work in him. And incidentally, if Joseph hadn't of, he never would have had a conversation with the cupbearer or the baker. I'm sure the baker wishes that he didn't have the conversation, but the cupbearer was pretty cool. But it still took two years of Joseph continuing to persevere and continuing to grow and continuing to develop before he came before Pharaoh with Pharaoh's dream. And then Pharaoh says, there's nobody as wise as you. Well, you know why? Because he had developed a sensitivity to God, an ability to listen to God, an ability to let God develop him where he was to become the person he needed to be in order to be used by God the way God needed him to use him. It's a great lesson for us to learn. In Galatians 6, verse 9, you can write it down, look it up later, but here's what it says. You just need to trust me as long as we're talking about trust. (laughs) Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. If we trust God and we continue to do good, to not lose heart, we will know that we will reap. We will reap what we sow. And if we're sowing positive good things, God is going to allow us to reap positive good things according to his plan, according to his design. Here's the principle I want us to capture. This is so critical for us to understand as people. The decisions that you make today will determine the person that you're going to be tomorrow. Get that. The decisions you make today will determine the person that you're going to be tomorrow. 
so important for us to understand that because what we're doing today, the habits we're developing, the things that we're doing to grow, the books we're reading, the things we're going to develop as a person, the things that we're doing to develop our relationship with Christ, the amount of time we spend in scripture, the amount of time we spend in prayer, the amount of time we spend alone listening to God, developing a sensitivity to God's spirit. Those are the things that are going to determine what we're going to be in five years. And somehow we think maybe what we can do is just kind of slough along and somehow miraculously in five years we're going to be a completely different person. The transformation that God does is a transformation that he allows us to work through. And it's so important for us to understand, those of you that are in careers, those of you guys that are starting careers, man, if you want to have a career that's a successful career, you need to become somebody who becomes a successful person. You need to know what it's like to work hard, to be diligent, to have integrity, to have proper ethics, to have proper work ethic, all those things that go into being somebody who can be, uh, perform at a high level. We want marriages that are, that are loving, sensitive marriages. Then learn how to be a servant. Learn how to be a loving, sensitive spouse. Learn how to ask questions. Learn how to listen. Learn how to empathize. Learn how to be somebody that creates a loving environment. Those things are going to determine what your marriage is going to look like in five years. You can't ignore each other and somehow in five years thinking, wow, how come we don't have this loving, sensitive marriage? That's something that we continue to work at and develop on purpose. And by the way, if you're not married yet and you want to have a godly spouse, become somebody that's attractive to a godly spouse. You want somebody to love you that's godly and loves Jesus, be somebody that is godly and loves Jesus that would be attractive to that person. You want to be part of a loving, friendly church? Be a loving, friendly person. I'm just saying. You know, what we're doing today determines who we're going to be tomorrow. And I just want to encourage you, be somebody today that is being developed by God to be somebody who's going to be used by God two, three, four, five, 10, 15, 20 years from now in a way that you would never dream that he would do. But if we're faithful in the little things, God will continue to move us forward to the big things he has in store for us. And then as we get into Genesis 42, I want to talk a little bit about the family. So we see Joseph. We see Joseph's development. The family, we, we spent a lot of time looking at the family, and we know that, that, that there's a lot of things going on in the family. As, as Doug shared last week, 22 years has been between the time Joseph was sold into slavery and the time he sees his brother. That's a long time. But what does Joseph really know about his brothers? They're scoundrels. They sold them into slavery. They're, they lie. They're dishonest. They have no conscience. A few weeks ago, we talked about the family, the stuff that was handed down from generation to generation. There's three things we talked about. Anybody know what those three things are? Three things that the family was handed down. One was that there was favoritism, Right? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob all had favorites. We talked about as a result of that, there was all kinds of deception that was happening in the families, and there was competition. And so we talked a little bit about Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, if you remember. 12 sons he had, 10 of the sons were with three wives. Those three wives he didn't love. He just had kids with them. 
As a result, there's 10 sons that he really wasn't all that excited about because there's one wife that he really loved, Rachel, and she had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin, who he really loved. Do you think there's a little competition between the 10 brothers and those two? Heck yeah. To the point where Joseph ended up being sold into slavery. So he hasn't seen him for 22 years. What would make Joseph think he could trust those scoundrels? Because they come to him and says, oh no, sir, we're honest men. We just came for food. Why do you think he told them that they were spies? Why do you think he did that? He did that because he did not trust them. Do you have a brother? Yeah, we have a brother. Really? Do you really? Yeah, we do really. Then bring him to me. Bring him. Don't come back if you don't have your brother with you. Because if you don't have your brother with you, I know you're lying. He wanted to find out if Benjamin was okay. He knew what they did to him. They can say whatever they want about Benjamin. He wanted to see for himself that Benjamin was okay. Bring him back. If you don't bring him back, there's no deal. And here's the interesting thing about Joseph. Joseph had dealt with what happened to him. Joseph had let go of what happened to him, and he was moving forward. We don't see Joseph being somebody who's resentful or vindictive. Joseph wasn't out for revenge. In fact, what Joseph did is he said, look, send their food to them and put the money back in their bags. Grace is a powerful thing. When you're set free from from, um, being um, resentful or bitter about what happens, you have the ability to be gracious to those people that treat you wrong. And so Joseph sends the money back in their bags. So now we're getting to chapter 43. Aren't you guys excited? I love the 11 o'clock service because there's no time after service where we all have to meet. So So verse 43, now the famine was severe in the land. So it came about when they had finished eating the grain, which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back, buy us a little food. Judah spoke to him, however, saying, the man solemnly warned us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send your brother with us, we'll go down and buy food. But if you do not send them, we're not going down. For the man said to us, you will not see my face unless your brother's with you. Then Israel said this, why do you treat me so badly by telling the man whether you had another brother? Why did you do that to me? Verse 7, they said, the man questioned particularly to us about our relatives, saying, is your father still alive? Have you another brother? So we answered his question. Could we possibly know that he would say, bring your brother down? Judah said to his father Israel, send the land with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die. We as well as you and our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. You may hold me responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame before you forever. For if he had not delayed, surely we would have been back a couple times already. So here's this, here's this famine that's severe. Jacob is hanging out, man. He's going, please rain, please rain, please rain. He's doing rain dances. He's doing everything he could possibly think of to have rain fall because Jacob is not sending Benjamin back. He's not sending him back. And it finally gets to the point where they are starving. And the brothers come and say, listen, we got to do something or our entire family is going to starve, the entire clan. 
And Jacob is so enamored with Benjamin and Rachel, and, and he's, he's placed them on such a high pedestal that he can't make a decision that's responsible for his family. And it's a dangerous place to be when you have somebody or somebody that's elevated above God and you can't listen to God's voice. And Jacob has gotten himself into this mindset that why does everything wrong always happen to me? Let's go back to chapter 42, 36 to 38. Write it down, look it up later. Because I know I have to save time, so I just write it down and put it here. Their father, um, Jacob, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And you would take Benjamin? All these things are against me. You know, when you get into that mindset where everything that happens always is wrong and you start having that negative mindset that everything you see is just, you just look for what's wrong with everything, it's Joseph. I mean, that's, that's Jacob. He says this, he says, my son shall not go down with you for his brother is dead and he alone is left. Now, we talked about favoritism. This is like favoritism at its worst. He's already saying Simeon is no more because nobody's going back there and we're not getting him out of prison. He can die in prison because I am not sending Benjamin. Nice, huh? You wonder why there's problems in the family? And the thing about having a negative mindset, the thing about being somebody who always thinks bad things are happening to you is that you forget all the things that God tells you that are promises that he makes to you. And you forget the things that God says. Let's go, well, let's not go back. I'm just going to read it to you. In Genesis 35, 5 through 9, here's what God said to Jacob. He comes to Jacob and he says, um, I'll read it out of here, not out of my Bible. God said to him, your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. Thus he called him Israel. God also said to him, I am God Almighty. You know what? If we said that to ourselves every time we got into a situation, what would that situation look like? Wouldn't that be awesome if we could be somewhere saying, God is Almighty God. He came to me and said, I am God Almighty. And I love you and I am taking care of you. If, if that could be a phrase that we just plant in our computer and it just comes out every time we need it to come out, what a powerful thing that would be for us. So he says to Jacob, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you and kings shall come forth from you. The land which I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you and I will give the land to you, your descendants after you. Jacob had that promise from God, but he, but he lost sight of it because he was so obsessed with his relationship with Benjamin because he's the only thing he had left from Rachel, that he couldn't see anything that what God was doing in his life because he was so focused on that thing. And when we become focused on a thing or a person and it becomes more important than God's will in our life, it's a formula for disaster. And so it was with Jacob. And so Jacob, who was the deceiver, who was a heel grabber, had his name changed to the prince that prevails with God, was doing anything but prevailing with God. He was so into a woe is me attitude that he couldn't move past it. But he finally gave in because literally they were starving to death. They had no food. And so finally he gives in and says, okay, but if something happens, man, I'm dying because there would be no reason for me to live anymore. Just, which is just interesting, right? Because what did God say? 
Man, you're going to you're gonna have kings from me. Things, unbelievable things are going to happen in you. And it's going, oh, if Benjamin dies, my life is over. How we get stuck with looking at this negative stuff when God has such great plans for us. It's a sad place to be. So the brothers are heading back to Egypt. I could imagine what that conversation was like. Okay, what are we going to tell this guy? He's mean, he hates us, he thinks we're spies, and now we stole the money. We have to bring the money back, and we have to convince him that really we didn't take the money. Somehow it got put in there. How are we going to do that? That's impossible. You already... I could imagine that conversation. That must have been fun. So verse 16, Joseph saw Benjamin with them. So they came back. They started to come. Um, they had a gifts and stuff that they wanted to, um, to develop or to give to, to Joseph. Joseph sees them coming. He sees Benjamin with them in verse 16. And then he said to his house steward, bring the men into the house and slay an animal and make ready for the men, to, the, for the men are to dine with me at noon. So jo- Joseph says, hey, bring them into the house. We're going to have a party. Now, if you were going to go to somebody's house who was very wealthy and you know that he was going to provide a great meal, how would you feel? Wouldn't you be excited? Here's how the men felt. Verse 17, so the man did as Joseph said, and he brought the men to Joseph's house. Verse 18, now the men were afraid. (laughs) They weren't excited, they're afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money that was returned in our sacks the first time that we're being brought in, and then he may seek occasion against us and fall upon us and take us for slaves with our donkeys. Here's the problem that happens when you're living a life that is not right. We tend to filter our values and our attitudes through all the other stuff that happens around us, don't we? If I'm dishonest, I think everybody's dishonest. If I lie, I think everybody's lying. If I'm resentful, everybody's If I'm judgmental, everybody's judgmental. I tend to filter what happens and what people do through my filters. And when somebody does something that they're doing just out of grace, what's the catch? Because I know everything I do has a catch. And so there must be a catch. What's going on? And so here are these brothers that have grown up with that mindset. What did they do in Shechem? They said, oh, yeah, you can marry our daughter. All you have to do is get circumcised. <laughs> and they get circumcised, and what happens? They come in when they can't move, and they murder all of them. So if that's how they think, why would they think Joseph had any other motives? It's so destructive when we allow ourselves to develop a value system and a sinful nature that begins to drive our motives and our behavior. So the brothers were afraid, and they thought Joseph was doing it so he could take their stuff. So he comes to the servant's house steward and said to him, verse 20, Oh, my Lord, we need indeed came when, when, when... Okay, let's try this. Oh, Lord, oh, my Lord, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. And it came about when we came to the lodging place that we opened our sacks, and behold, each man's money was in the mouth of a sack. Our money was full, our, our money in full. So we've brought it back in our hand. We have also brought down other money in our hand to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. He said, be at ease, do not be afraid. Now this is interesting. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. And then he says this, which is interesting. I had your money. So I have your money, and your money paid for the grain that I put in your sack. Where did the money come from that got put in the sack? Joseph. What a testimony to his, his house steward. is like, I'm not going to take Egypt's money and take care of my family. 
I'm going to take their money and they're going to buy the grain like they're supposed to. But I'm going to take my money, I'm going to put it in the sack. That's what grace is all about. That's when you're set free. And so um, they go, they have dinner with Joseph. Um, he, they come in, verse 27, he asks them about the welfare. He says, is your father well of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. They bowed down in homage. He lifted his eyes, saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and he said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? And then Joseph says to him, may God be gracious to you, my son. And then Joseph goes out because he's deeply stirred over his brother and he sought a place to weep and he entered his chamber and wept there. See, that's the second time Joseph had to do that. That's a man who has let go of the bitterness and resentment of what was done to him and is able to love somebody unconditionally. Washed his face, he came out, served them. And then uh, this says in verse 33 that they looked at one another in astonishment as he was serving them because he gave them each a portion and to Benjamin he gave five times as much. And then they feasted. They ate and they drank freely. And it's interesting when grace is extended how it frees us to have a relationship where we can eat and drink freely. Then as we get into 44, Joseph still doesn't know if he can trust his brothers. He knows now that Benjamin is alive. He knows that Benjamin is in good shape, but can he really trust him? Can he really trust that that they actually are treating Benjamin right? So here's what he does in in chapter 44. He says, he commands us out, stewards, saying, hey, give them their food, fill their sacks, put as much as they can carry, and then put each man's money in in the mouth of a sack. Then he says, put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest and his money for the grain. And so the steward did as Joseph told him. As soon as it was light, the men sent them away with their donkeys. They had just gone out of the city, were not far off, when Joseph said to his house steward, Up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from whom my Lord drinks, and which he indeed uses for divination? You have done wrong in doing this. So he overtook them and spoke these words to them. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants to do such a thing. Behold, the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks we have brought back to you from the land of Canaan. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Now listen to this. Be careful what you say. Verse 9. With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be your Lord's slaves. Boy, I tell you, be careful with what you say. It may be so obvious to you, it may make total sense to you, but if you make a commitment and you make an oath without thinking it through and without knowing all the details and without knowing all the information, you could find yourself in a world of hurt. So I love about Scripture, man. Scripture is eternal. We can learn principles from Scripture eternally. Stuff that was appropriate back then, appropriate in the 20s, appropriate in the 60s, is appropriate today. So they say that. Verse 10, he says, now let it also be according to your words. Be with whom it is found, he with whom it is found shall be my slave, and the rest of you shall be innocent. Then they hurried each man, lowered his sack to the ground. Each man opened his sack. They searched it beginning with the oldest, ended with the youngest. The cup was found in Benjamin's sack. They tore their clothes. And when each man loaded his donkey, they returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, he was still there, duh, They fell to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What is this deed that you have done? 
Do you not know that such a man as I can indeed practice divination? So Judah said, what can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? How can we justify ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Doug talked about this a lot last week. If you weren't here last week, listen to that message. These men were racked with guilt from their lifestyle. God was dealing with them. God was working on their hearts. And so now they're looking at all these things that are happening, thinking, oh my, all that stuff we did, it's coming back to us. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. So they're going, oh, what can we say? God's found out the iniquity of your servant. Behold, now listen how Judah does this. Judah, who made the commitment to his dad that he was going to bring, bring back Benjamin, back here in verse 9, they said, hey, the servant that is found, let him die, right? Judah says, behold, we are my Lord's slaves, both we and the one whose possession the cup has been found. We're your slaves. Whatever we said back there, don't worry about it. We're your slaves. But Joseph said this, far be it from me to do this. The man in whose possession the cup has been found, he shall be my slave. But as for you, go up in peace to your father. Then Judah approached him and said, oh, my Lord, may your servant please speak a word in, in my Lord's ear. So, so a couple things that I want, us to, I want us to look at. One is, is that as we look at this, we look at Joseph and his attitude and his behavior and how he saw God and how he always got into this woe of me thing. You know, we've talked about this a lot, and I think it's really important for us to continue to review it, but, but we can never view God in light of our circumstances. Always view your circumstances in the light of who God is. Joseph was so caught up in his son and all the things that were going on that he lost sight of what God had to say to him. And instead of seeing his circumstances in the light of who God is and know that God is capable of doing miraculous things through all his circumstances, he began to see his circumstances as way bigger than God and there's no way God could work in this situation. And as a result, he was fighting God all along the way. And as the brothers get in here now, we start seeing Joseph wanting to find out, can he really trust his brothers? Because Joseph has been somebody who has been able to view his circumstances in the light of who God is. This doesn't make sense. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But I know God has a plan. He gave me a dream, and he's going to fulfill that dream. And so, so he says, you know, that's not going to happen. Well, I'm going to let all you guys go free, and I'm going to keep Benjamin. Now, why does he do that? What did his brothers do to him? He was the favorite. What did they do? They got rid of him. They got rid of him. And then they had to lie about it. He got torn up by the beast. Ah, it's just it's horrible. So, jo so Joseph is giving them the opportunity to do the same thing to Benjamin that they were able to do with Joseph, although this is going to be much easier. Because if they're the same brothers that they were 22 years ago, and Joseph says, look it, just leave Benny here, you guys go. Take the grain, take everything and go. They could have gone, awesome, man, perfect. We get rid of Benjamin now too. We just got rid of both of them. We're on cloud nine, nothing to worry about anymore. Joseph, Joseph wanted to find out, was that their motive? Was that where their heart was at? So he says, no, keep Benjamin. I'm going to keep Benjamin. So Judah approached him and said, oh, my Lord, may your servant please speak a word in my Lord's ear. And do not be angry with your servant, for you are equal to Pharaoh. My Lord asked the servant, saying, have you a father or a brother? We said to my Lord, we have an old father. Listen, this is how much Jacob was pampering 
uh, Benjamin. We have an old father and a little child of his old age. <laughs> you know, by this time, Benjamin has to be somewhere between his late teens and his early to mid-20s. And they're seeing him as a little child of the father's old age. They, Jacob has never let Benjamin grow up. Now his brother is dead, so he alone is left of his mother, and his father loves him. So the, the, nothing has changed. Benjamin is the favorite. The brothers all know he's the favorite. The brother knows that, that everything that Jacob has is tied up in his love for Benjamin. Verse 21, then you said to your servants, bring him down to me and I, that, that I may set my eyes on him. But we said to my Lord, the lad cannot leave his father. For if he should leave his father, his father would die. You said to your servants, however, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. Thus it came about when we went up to your servant, my father, we told him the words of my Lord. Our father said, go back, buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons and that the one that went out from me, and I said, surely he is torn to pieces and I have not seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm befalls him, you will bring my gray hair down to Sheol in sorrow. Now, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, when he sees that the lad is not with us, he will die. Thus your servants will bring the gray hair of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then let me bear the blame before my father forever. Now, therefore, please... Let your servant remain instead of the lad as a slave to my Lord and let the lad go up with his brothers. For how shall I go up to my father if the lad is not with me for fear that I see the evil that would overtake my father? Wow, Joseph found out something powerful. The same Judah who 22 years ago said, why don't we just sell him in slavery? Let's make some money on this guy. It's the same guy that said, listen, Joseph, or not Joseph, but take me. You know, don't, don't take Benjamin. Take me. Let me be your, your slave. We can't do this to dad. We can't, we can't do this. Take, take me. Don't, don't take Benjamin, please. Joseph goes, okay, I can trust him. I can trust him. What a change happened in, in the life of these men now. To where they, instead of taking the opportunity, nothing changed. Benjamin was Jacob's favorite. But the boys had been convicted by God of their sin and their jealousy and the stuff that was going on in them to where Judah said, listen, let me be the slave. You take, let, him, let Benjamin go. It's a powerful truth because here's, here's the truth that I want us to get. Forgiveness is given. Trust has to be earned. See, we're commanded by God to forgive. We're commanded by God to give grace. We have to. And we don't have to for the benefit of the other person. That's where we miss it. We have to because when we don't forgive, 
We become people who are angry and resentful. We become full of pain and discouragement and and bitterness, and it eats us up from the inside out. And we become people who are distant. We, We lose joy. We lose our purpose. Our relationship with God suffers. In fact, sometimes it just becomes so distant that we have no relationship with God. And if we aren't able to forgive, if we aren't able to take that event or that person that hurt us and give it to God and say, God, I can't handle this. I can't carry this anymore. It's eating me up. You take it. You take care of that person. I can't be responsible for that. Then it frees us. It frees us to allow ourselves to become used by God to fulfill his purposes. See, Joseph was able to do that, and so he was able to be used by God to rise up through Potiphar's house, to rise up through the the prison, and to become the right-hand man to, to, to Pharaoh. If he had not let go of that stuff, he would have still been somebody in Potiphar's house doing the least amount of work possible. But because you forgive somebody doesn't mean that you should trust them. In fact, you shouldn't trust them until they prove that they're trustworthy. They have to earn trust. We forgive, it's granted. Trust has to be earned. Because people are dishonest. People are deceptive. Lucy will convince Charlie Brown for the next 100 years that she's not going to pull that football out. And Charlie Brown will go, how stupid you think I am? Oh, Charlie, you're pretty dumb. (laughs) But we need to be people who who are wise. And sometimes it takes some counseling, some multitude of counselors to help us think through some of those things, to maybe help even release some of that pain and frustration that we're feeling. But I want you to know that, that just because you forgive somebody doesn't mean that you should trust them. In fact, you shouldn't, more than likely. In fact, you know that that really is one of the biggest issues in abusive relationships, isn't it? That the the person that is abusive comes to the other person and goes, I'm so sorry, I don't know what happened, I know it got into me, I promise it'll never happen again, please let me come back. And the person feels sorry for the person and then they bring them back in and it happens all over again. Shouldn't be trusted. Forgiveness is given, it's demanded, but trust has to be earned. And that's the beauty of this story, is Joseph was able to release the the hurt. He was able to love his brothers. God was able to develop him to become somebody who could rule over all of Egypt, and yet he needed to know whether he could trust his brothers. He forgave them. He loved them, he gave grace to them, he extended to them, but he didn't trust them. There was nothing that they had done that would make him believe he could trust them. And so he had to have them jump through hoop after hoop after hoop in order for him to know that they were trustworthy. And then Judah says, keep me, send Ben. Please don't keep Ben, he'll kill our dad. And so Joseph was able to move forward, and we'll see that next week. So you're going to have to come back next Sunday so Doug can tell you how it ends. But as far as today goes, I just want you to spend a few minutes to just think. 
You know, are you carrying around some bitterness and anger and pain from things maybe somebody has done? Circumstances that has occurred in your life that just um, wasn't right, wasn't fair? And you've been carrying that around and you're angry about it, you're mad at God, you're resentful, you're bitter. I'm going to encourage you today to give that to God. You can't carry it. You're not strong enough. You're not intended to carry it. God is the one who carries it. Jesus died so he can take that burden on himself and set you free. Maybe you're somebody that has just been cruising through life. You've been doing the mental amount of stuff just to get by. And God has gifted you and given you the ability to live an abundant, fruitful life. And you've just been sliding by with the least amount of effort. And God has a plan for you and he wants to develop you so that when his plan is in place, you're ready to move forward with his plan. And maybe you need to make a decision today that you're going to start going above and beyond rather than figuring out how to do the least amount. Or maybe you're somebody that just seems to always have things go wrong. And you're just looking for whatever's wrong in whatever situation you find yourself in. And you're always blaming God. You're always blaming other people. You're always negative. You're always critical. You're always looking for those things that are wrong. You're always going, woe is me. Why does this always happen to me? Moving into the, jo- the Jacob syndrome. And maybe God wants you to take some time this morning to go, you know what? I am God Almighty. And things are not going wrong. I have a plan that's a great plan. Look up. Seek me. Grow with me. So here's what I want us to do for just a few minutes as we wrap up this service. Because I'm praying that you will not leave here the same person that you were when you came in. What you do today determines who you are tomorrow. And so take a few minutes. We're just going to have a few seconds to be silent and just allow you just to be alone with God and work through any of those things if you have any of those things. And how can you release those things to God? You might need to talk to somebody else who will help you and encourage you and support you and come alongside and disciple you. It may just be between you and God where you go, God, I give this to you, I release it, it's yours. Whatever it is, Let's just take two or three minutes just to quietly be alone with God and allow God to work in you and give you his um, peace and strength. And then I'll pray in a few minutes. Father, we acknowledge that you're God Almighty. 
And Lord, you are the creator of heaven and earth. Everything that happens is, is, is according to your plan. And you are faithful. And Father, we know that as people have heard us, you want to carry that burden. So I pray for those people that they would release that to you. Lord, you've called us to be diligent. Lord, I pray for those people that need to step up, need to be using your gifts to the best of their ability, that you would allow that to happen. And then, Father, people that need to just see your working in their lives and, and be set free from only viewing things as being bad and negative, that you will allow them to see that you're God Almighty and that your plan for them is great. And that you have something that um, is powerful that's going to happen in our lives as you use them and as you equip them. Father, we know that you're a personal God, that Jesus, you died so that we could have a relationship with you. And that the good work that you began in us, you're going to continue to perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. We know that, Lord. So allow us to anticipate that and to walk in obedience to you as a result. Father, we give ourselves to you that we would be a people that would glorify you in all that we do, that would honor you in all that we are. And Lord, we know that that can happen because we have a powerful God and a loving Savior. And so, Father, we lift these things to you. We lift ourselves to you in the power of a risen Savior in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, amen. amen.